I have a thought experiment for you this morning. If someone somehow only had heard the story of Jesus through the Gospels and yet had, had never been exposed in any kind of way to church or Christianity and then walked into a church and heard what it was about, what do you think that person would think of American Christianity in 2022? <laughs> Grumpy says, eh. <laughs> would they think it makes sense? The way the church has evolved in these more than 2,000 years, would they recognize Jesus in it? Would they be confused, dismayed, excited, happy? There's a famous Christian book uh, written by Charles Sheldon. It's been around a long time, since 1896, and it's called In His Steps. How many of you ever heard the term, what would Jesus do? That's where this phrase came from, was this fiction Christian book written a long time ago. In it, a pastor encounters people who he is challenged to treat as though they were Christ, to really live in a way that Jesus would. And so the question was always asked throughout the story by this pastor, what would Jesus do? We see 100 years later, all y'all, even if you haven't read the book, know that phrase, right? There's t-shirts, there's stickers. It's all over the place, WWJD. As a Christian faith leader, it's a question at the forefront of my mind at all times when I lead, care for, teach, and administer the sacraments to the church. As a church, though, and I don't just speak for Grace Lutheran. Remember, I've been in all kinds of churches throughout my 17 years. I have lots of pastor friends and Christian friends. So I'm not speaking to just this little corner of San Antonio, Texas. I speak to the church universal all over the place. The church often looks to what the church has done when we consider what our calling is, rather than consistently going back to that source, to that original question of what would Jesus do. Like a copy of a distorted copy over time, the church, if it only looks at the church as its litmus test and model, is bound to become distorted. Today's scripture is a, all three of them are harsh reminders that the culture that dominates our lives and often our churches is not a reflection of Christ. These scriptures directly take on the dominant values of our culture that we often adopt ourselves. Things that we think are so wonderful, like hard work, success, monetary gain, creating of monuments and sustaining of things that will perish. The Ecclesiastes text is a truth bomb that shows just how long humanity has been tempted toward anxiety, productivity, and greed. The subsequent verses after this one is that beautiful poem that you've probably all heard, There is a time to laugh, there is a time to cry, that beautiful poem. Well, if you want to have that beautiful poem, first you have to look yourself in the face and remember that you are anxious over things that do not matter, that you're trying to control things that cannot last. Did you catch how that scripture speaks to the anxiety that keeps you up in the middle of the night? <laughs> this was written in 450 BCE, y'all. How many of you still have anxiety wake you up sometimes in the middle of the night? 3 a.m. and you're thinking about, I shouldn't have said that. What's going to happen with this? It's incredible how ubiquitous the human condition is even 2,500 years later. 
Our epistle, meanwhile, is about how, whether we realize it or not, our primary identity is in Christ. That's where we find it, not in what we have done or will do, not in our sin and not in our strength, but that the deepest essence of ourselves is the reflection of the divine sin. In like manner, when a man came to Jesus with a squabble about an inheritance, Jesus basically laughed him out of there. (laughs) This guy, what? Are you serious? Let me tell you a little story. There was a guy. He had an incredible, incredible crop. He thought, I'm going to be able to just ride this out for years. Guess what? He died that night. You're immortal. You can't hang on to anything. Give me a break. Nothing in this life belongs to you. Everything about these texts are antithetical to the dominant culture and economy that we live in. The values of the world tell us that we are only as important as what we own and how much we are worth, that we are validated primarily by what we have and by what we have accomplished, that we are not a reflection of God but a reflection of our success. But church... I have news for you this morning. Our dominant culture and economy lies. You are not a reflection of your success. You're a reflection of Christ. Last week, when I was in Wisconsin, I was praying and walking the property at Holy Wisdom, and there are many benches set around the property, angled at beautiful views for contemplation or conversation, and many of these benches have memorial plaques on them. But one of them had the memorial on it engraved directly onto the wood. This person had passed away in 2013, and the numbers and words were beginning to fade. And as I walked, I thought, how long before everything that I have contributed is forgotten? How long before all that I have made or have touched has turned to dust? How long before my name is no longer remembered? Now, I know that sounds kind of depressing. (laughs) Come on, Pastor. That's kind of a Debbie Downer. No, it didn't depress me. It inspired me. It reminded me that these small beauties, the deep love, the joy of friendship, the inspiration of service, mean more than anything that could memorialize me, more than my accomplishments, more than my accrued value, more than my stock portfolio. And this way of thinking, y'all, it sets us free because it is from God. It fills us with the ability to truly embrace the gift of what is, who we are, the life that we are given, and this is always how it is with God's truth and God's path. God's yoke is easy. God's burden is light. Much of this incredibly beautiful sanctuary that is so inspiring to us in worship and such a blessing to to be able to enter and be a part of is built by memorial funds. You'll see like on the bottom of every one of these drop-dead gorgeous stained glass windows that there are, you know, in appreciation of faithful services of of this German guy or or that German gal, right? But my favorite is the plaque up here in the chancel. It says that this chancel carpet is donated by Henry and Amelia Torrey. 
Now you might notice that there is no chancel carpet here. Carpet, like everything, wears out. And sometime in the last 100 years, that carpet that was donated by Henry and Amelia wore out. It does not negate that gift, y'all. Thank you, Henry and Amelia, that was wonderful. It doesn't cheapen it. It just reminds us that none of that kind of stuff lasts. Who do we think we are with all of our things and our controls and our desire for stability and our plans and our checklists, all rooted and grounded in anything other than God's love and grace? Everything that is not relationship will be destroyed. Everything that is not relationship will perish. Relationship continues because it can be received and gifted throughout generations. The love that we have been given can be turned around and gifted to others, and then again and again and again and again. Part of the love and grace that we feel here today is from Henry and Amelia. The chancel carpet is gone, but they invested not just money, time and energy and love and grace and relationship into this place. It is the grand paying forward of humanity, the example of the incarnation of Christ. The grace that we've been given can overflow out of our lives and into others and continue. I wonder this morning, could we be a better reflection of the original? Could we bring more pure love and truth like Jesus did? We are invited to be rattled by the laughter and incredulousness of Jesus when he wonders what on earth we selfishly store away for. Mortals acting as though something other than pure grace could keep us safe. We are invited as beloveds of Christ, to reject the ways of the world so that we can offer true hope. Do you know how many people are sleepwalking through their lives, rejecting themselves at every turn? How many people feel hopeless? How many people that have no idea how incredible they are? How many people stuck in patterns of avoidance and stress and self-soothing, waking up at 3 a.m. every morning, just hating on themselves, Wondering what's going to come next. Disallowed from having meaningful connection. Because they have not encountered God's grace. God's love. We don't have time to worry about how much is in our storehouses. With so many in need around us. Literal needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. we can reflect Christ's love in this community of faith. And we do in so many ways. So may we be inspired to remember the relational model of the gospel. That it's not the economy of hustle and anxiety and achievement and accumulation that dominates the world. You're going to be forgotten. The chancel carpet is going to need to be ripped out. Thanks be to God. The love and grace that you've invested will last for 
generations. This church is our call. It is the only thing that we can truly keep, mortal as we are. It is our essential, essential meaning to follow Jesus, to love and give what we have, to live in grace and generosity, to remember that everything that we achieve, everything that we accrue, everything that we create is on loan. But we get to be a part of that which is eternal. From one act of service to the next, from one healing generation to the next, from one effort of reconciliation to the next, and on and on and on, in the incredible, revolutionary, death-defying love of God. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, Better Is One Day.